You know, the story's been told of a famous chess player who was on vacation in Europe. And he loved the arts. And so he wanted to go to these different art galleries. And so he started going to these art galleries. And he walked into one particular art gallery. And he saw this painting that captured his attention. And the painting was a chess match in progress. On one side of the chessboard was the devil. He was leaning back in his chair with his stomach on his hand. He was laughing with joy with this devilish grin. On the other side of the chessboard was a young man who was slouched over, sweating on his brow, biting his nails with tears in his eyes and fear on his face. And as the chess champion looked at this painting, he realized what it was all about when he read the title of the painting, which read Checkmate. You see, the devil was making his final move for this young man's soul. The devil laughing, the young man in terror. And so he just kept looking at this painting and staring at the painting and staring turned into hours until finally he got a grin on his face as he studied this painting. And so he asked the proprietor of the gallery, he said, do you have a chessboard anywhere? And he said, I think we do. And so he went and he found a chessboard and he came back and he gave it to him. So this chess champion, he went back to the painting and he put the chessboard at the base of the painting and he began to put all the chess pieces on the board as they were depicted in the painting. And so he'd look at the painting and look down at his board and look at the painting and look down at the board and look at the painting and then it clicked. He got a big smile on his face and he started to speak out loud to the young man in the painting. And he said, oh, young man, if you could only hear me now because I have some good news for you. It only appears that the devil is winning. There's one more move left on the board, and you get to make that move. You see, your enemy has miscalculated something. I know, I'm a chess champion. So you can wipe the sweat off your brow, you can stop biting your nails, you can lean back, and you can relax. Because you, and not he, gets to make the final move. And you know, I believe that many of us have been duped into thinking that the devil or the enemy is winning in our lives. We've been duped into thinking that he gets to make the final move on us. We've been duped into thinking that he's running the show and calling the shots and we're just kind of like puppets on his string. We've been duped into thinking that he's got... He's the final decision maker of our joy and our well-being and our spirituality. But I have some good news for us today. You can wipe the sweat off your brow and you can stop biting your nails because you and not he gets to make the final move. But you know, when we talk about this whole thing about spiritual battle, we kind of we kind of need to look at the history of, of this whole spiritual warfare thing because God actually started it. God created the angels. But then you remember that Satan, because of his pride, he was dismissed 
from heaven, took one third of the angels with him. And then God created man in his own image, a little lower than the angels. But then Satan countered that move by tempting Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But then God countered that move by killing an innocent substitute and clothing Adam and Eve with that animal skin. Oh, but then Satan countered that move by getting into the head of Cain to kill his brother Abel so that the the seed of the woman would be no more. But then God countered that move by raising up Seth, where men would call on the name of the Lord again. But then Satan countered that move by getting behind Nimrod, who was really the originator of the Babylonian and Syrian empire, and he's the one that you know, made the Tower of Babel in defiance of God. But then God countered that move by raising up a guy by the name of Abraham, who would be the father of many nations and the father of the Jewish nation where the Messiah would come. But then Satan countered that move by getting the children of Israel stuck in Egypt for 400 years. But then God countered that move by raising up Moses and sending him to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. And so all the way through the Old Testament, you have this move, counter move, move, counter move, and you don't know who's winning. And then there's a 400 year gap in between the Old Testament and the New Testament until you come to the New Testament and you find these genealogies. And this guy begat this person, and this guy begat this person, and this person begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And then you have this kingly line all the way to the Virgin Mary that she would conceive and she would bear a son, and you're going to call his name Emmanuel, God with us in the person of Jesus Christ. God had to come down himself and fix this mess. But then Satan countered that move by tempting the Son of God in the wilderness. But then Jesus countered that move by throwing the word of God at him. And then Satan made his final move to get Jesus crucified through Pilate and the Jews thinking he could, thinking he could completely wipe out this agent of God. But then God made his final move on Resurrection Sunday morning. And that move is your move. What do you mean? It's my move. Turn to Revelation chapter 12 really quickly. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. John's seeing this heavenly scene in Revelation 12, 10. And he says, Then I heard a voice, a loud voice, saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before God day and night has been cast down. And in verse 11, And they overcame him, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimonies. I want to encourage you this morning that no matter what's happening in your life with your family, your wife, your husband, your kids, your job, temptations, addiction, depression, spiritual attacks, the move that we are to make is at the cross. How did they overcome? By the blood of of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. What's the word of our testimony? That Jesus died, was buried, and rose again from the dead, 
and we are in Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, that he's risen from the dead, then you are in him. God has the final say-so in your life, just as we just sang. He's got the final say-so. Whom the Son sets free, he's free indeed. And then that next part of the song. What is that next part? Child of God, yes. But that last part of that phrase, that chorus, I forgot. What is it? Yes, I am. Uh, What? Come on, say it. Help me. Free indeed, yes. There's a part where God has the final say-so. What? Did you guys even sing the song? (laughs) You're as bad as me. I can't think. Uh, Oh, yeah. What was that? That's it. Thank you. That was our worship leader. See, he's the only one that was paying attention. I am who you say I am. I am so often who I say I am. I'm a loser. I'm a blow it. I'm not worthy. And you shouldn't even be preaching in that pulpit. Those are all the things I said to myself when I woke up this morning. But God has the final say-so in our lives, right? He does. And I need to listen to that voice by faith. And I can overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of His testimony, which He has risen from the dead. And that's your move. That is my move that we need to make. That we need to be strong in the power of the resurrection. What do you mean? The blood of the Lamb, the cross, and the power of the resurrection. Not just the fact that 2,000 years ago Jesus rose from the dead and, and proved that he is who he said he was. But what is the power of the resurrection in my life right now, right this moment in the craziness of my life and my head and my emotions and the temptations and all those things? I mean, this is what Paul told us to do as he was inspired by the Spirit of God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 really quickly. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Paul told us to do this very thing. What very thing? To draw upon the resurrection power of Christ. As he says in Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So Paul's reminding us of the fact that there is a spiritual realm and that spiritual realm is made up in part of spiritual beings, some good and some evil. We have an adversary. We have an enemy, a very powerful, ruthless, malicious, crafty enemy. And that enemy essentially is focused on one thing, And that is to destroy the cause of Christ in this world. And if you are in Christ, then you have a target on your your back. 
And it's not that he's necessarily interested in you and your life. He just wants to thwart the plan of God. And he'll do anything in his power to get you from not doing what God wants you to do. So that it's all just jacked up. Everything. C.H. Spurgeon said this concerning the Christian. He said, to be a Christian is to be a warrior. The good soldier of Jesus Christ must not expect to find ease in this world. And we're always doing that, aren't we? We're expecting it to be easy today. And so we're frustrated. He says the good soldier of Jesus Christ must not expect it to be easy. It's a battlefield. Neither must he reckon upon the friendship of the world, for this would be enmity against God. His occupation, the Christian's occupation, is war. As he puts on piece by piece the armor that Christ has provided him, he may wisely say to himself, this warns me of danger, this prepares me for warfare, and this prophesies opposition. I think that any police officer, as he puts on his uniform and his bulletproof vest and his gun, can say that very thing. This warns me of danger, this prepares me for warfare, and this prophesies opposition and we need to put on the armor every day he says when he says in verse 12 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood you know what that's literally saying the struggle in you is not against flesh and blood and one of the wiles of the devil is to get you to think that it's flesh and blood that it's the other person it's those people it's not The struggle in you is not against flesh and blood. Oh, you don't live in my house. The struggle in you is not against flesh and blood. Where's the struggle? The struggle is whether you're going to obey God's word or not, regardless of the other people or what you feel or or whatever. That's the struggle. But when he says it's against principalities and powers and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, I'm dead. I know my weakness. I scare myself. And that's real. I know that in me, this is in my heart, it's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I don't know it. I think I might know it, but I don't know it. Because I can fall in a second. And so I need all the help. I need all the protection. I know the wisdom. I need all the strength that I can get. But you know what? All the help and all the strength And all the protection and all the wisdom that I need is there. It's it's there. And I know it's in the Lord. And I know that because of the word of God. I know this because of this Bible, his word. So that means I need to be saturating myself with the word. I need to be in the word and I need to be using the word of God. One writer said this, the Bible is the armory of heavenly weaponry, a lavatory of infallible medicines, a mine of exhaustless wealth. It is a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a balm for every wound. Rob us of our Bibles and our sky has lost its sun. But I think, you know, it's important to look at what Paul's saying here in Ephesians 6 systematically because when he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, it's not like, oh, oh yeah, one more thing in my letter. I almost forgot. Be strong in the Lord. He's not saying that. 
literally what he's saying is, let me get to the main point of everything I'm trying to tell you, Ephesians. Be strong in the Lord and the power is might. Because all the way through the book, he's talked about this power. He actually prayed that we would get it. Not get it like we were waiting for something, but that you would get it that you already got it. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 17 of Ephesians. This is an amazing few verses. He's praying. He's telling him what he's praying for. And he says in verse 17 that I'm, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, that I'm, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Now that's not the Holy Spirit. And that's not the human spirit. It's just, it means like a dispos- disposition, a, a way of thinking. That you would, I'm praying that you'd have a way of thinking with wisdom and, and a knowledge of Jesus and that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, so I'm praying that God would just energize this information, that, verse 18, you might know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and here it is. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ? There's, there's four different Greek words there for the word power. We, o- we only see it in English. We see the word power, the word working, the word strength, and the word might. Some of your Bibles are different. So power, working, strength, and might. Those are just synonyms of, of our word power, but there's four different Greek words. It's very interesting. The word power in English is the word dudamis in Greek, where we get our word dynamite. The word working in English is, is the word energeia in the Greek, and that's where we get our word energy. The word strength is the word kratos, and that means, that means ultimate might. And then, and then the last word is it's the word iskus, and that means endowed power. So let me read it like that. Paul's praying. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm praying that, that you might know what is the exceeding greatness of his dudamis dynamite power toward us who believe according to the energy of his ultimate might and endowed power. And I got one quiet amen. That's it. You know, that's powerful. And then just to illustrate that power, look at verse 21 or verse 20. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. So Paul is saying, inspired by the spirit of God, that God has already given us this power and it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. He's not praying that we would get it someday that we might have it, that we should have it, but that we have it. And I'm praying that God would energize this information to you that you would realize this incredible truth. As Peter said, as his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge. 
So how is this, the knowledge of Jesus, so how is this power made accessible to me right now, right here, right now, in my mind, in my heart? It's through the knowledge of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and the power of the resurrection. My move. I overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of of my testimony. If we would just stop and meditate on the power of Almighty God, we'd realize that there's nothing too hard for Him to accomplish in my life. In my life, in my heart, in my mind. Now for the other person, he could do that too. But they have a free will. But he can do it with me if I'm willing to just put my faith in God. I know all these things. Many of you know all these things. But we only know them through the word of God. And that's why we need to be using the word of God in our minds. You know, the whole armory. Many of us know the armor of God. You know, you're having, having shod your feet with the preparation gospel of peace, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having the belt of truth, that you, you already have those things on. But then you take up the helmet, you take up the shield, you take up the sword. It's like the baseball player that has his jersey on, his cleats on, his cap on, and he's sitting in the dugout. But then when he's going to battle, he takes off his cap and he puts on his helmet, he picks up the bat, and he takes something up. He's, he's going into battle. And I'm telling you, you know, I'm a very visual person, but finally, after 30 years of being a Christian, especially in these last few years, I only see it now as this dueling it out in my head. Every day, it's this two people, two things, the flesh and the spirit and the, the inner man and the principalities and all these things, and it's like, And what am I dueling with? I'm dueling with thoughts. I'm dueling with accusations. I'm I'm dueling with temptations. I'm dueling with lies. As Paul says, the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty. There's that word power, mighty, ultimate might. They're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. The pulling down of strongholds. I'm just going to read it. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Don't you find that there's things that are exalting themselves? over the truth and you're pulling those down with what with truth (laughs) You're, you're pulling those down and then you're taking every thought into the captivity of the obedience of christ and it's just a constant battle and i need the word of god i need to use the word of god i need to use it I'm moving all these books. I got tons of books from 
years ago. Now everything's on computer. And I was talking to a friend yesterday. And I go, oh, I don't know. He's another pastor. I go, dude, what did you do with all your books? Like he went to Australia and he goes, bro, I got rid of them. <laughs> They're all online now. They're all free. He goes, I just, I couldn't carry them around. And, and we started talking and I'm like, you know what's so weird is as a pastor, you, you got to be doctrinal and you got to do this and you're talking about this doctrine and this doctrine and, you know, you're rightly dividing the word of truth and all that stuff. And I go, I look at all my books right now and I'm like, what is it? What's true religion? It's taking care of widows and orphans and washing people's feet, helping people. And I got all these books. But even with all those books, I have a bookshelf at home with, with a lot of incredible 100-year-old, 200-year-old, 500-year-old books. And that bookshelf mocks me because there's so much wisdom in that bookshelf. And it mocks me at times because it's like, you're not listening to us. <laughs> You, you got your eyes down instead of you got your eyes up. So we, we have to use the word of God. And so we see who, who is the victorious ones when it comes to crazy, crazy bad things or crazy spiritual attacks. Who do we see in the Bible that is being victorious. Turn to Job. Turn to Job. We all know the story of Job, right? Job, you know, just blameless, upright man, fears God, shuns evil thing. Those are all the words that God used when he was having a dialogue with the devil. You consider my servant Job. He's like, oh yeah, I've considered him. Of course, you've paid him off. No wonder he worships you. You strip all that from him and he'll curse you to your face. So God said, okay, go for it. Loose paraphrase. Go ahead. Just don't touch him. You can touch everything. And Satan went, went to work. Killed 7,000 sheep down 3,000 camels down 500 oxen 500 donkeys almost every one of his servants dead and then seven sons three daughters dead dead and what did Job say in Job chapter 1 verse 20 what does he say it's powerful then Job arose, he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground, and he worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. He did not charge God with wrong. How many of us charge God with wrong? 
How many of us this morning are charging God with wrong? I mean, Job was so surrendered to the sovereignty of God that he's like, I don't know what's going on. I have no idea what's going on. But here's the question this morning. How did Job get through what Job got through? And how do we get through what we need to get through? Here's the secret. You ready? It was his diet. It was his diet. Diet's important, right? You are what you eat, right? I haven't been on a diet. I've been on this different eating plan thing all year. No sugar, no bad pizza carbs, stuff like that. You know, just your good fats, avocado stuff, and your greens for your carbs and your meat, and that's it. And man, the, the, the energy level, it's been great. I feel like fortified. My brain, it's like kind of helped me there. <laughs> and, it, and, and yet Job, Job's diet fortified his strength. Job's diet energized his hope. Job's diet gave him the consistent energy and strength to make it. So what was his diet? Turn to chapter 23. Job 23 Verse 10 through 12. Job 23, 10. Job says, but God knows the way that I take. I don't know the way that I'm going. I have no idea why all this happened to me. But God knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. And here it is. Here's the diet plan. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. How did Job make it? How did Job survive it? How did Job follow the steps that he needed to step into in God's word? Because I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And the language, the Hebrew language hints that before I even eat food, I'm going to feed my faith with the word of God. Now, I don't know if you've ever gone through something that's been so painful in your life where you forget to eat, and maybe for days. I've had those experiences, and I love to eat, but when you're in such turmoil and you just don't eat, you just, and then you find yourself in this painful crying out to God, and fasting isn't even on your mind, but it turns into a fast. Job was there, obviously, if you got 10 kids that die and you lose everything, you're not going to eat. And so the word of God was his food. And he was a champion in my mind. He was a champion. This is the breakfast of champions right here. 
It's the word of God. The word of God. I know we know this, but maybe this morning we need to get more into the word. We are consumed with devices. We are addicted to devices. The average 8 to 18-year-old spends 7.5 hours a day on some type of device, phone, computer. Seven, almost eight hours a day. The average adult spends 120 minutes a day on some type of device. Now, you might hear that and go, 120 minutes? I'm more like on the eight-hour plan. Like, that's my diet. I get amazed at sometimes I will look at the end of the day of how much time I spent like on Instagram. And sometimes I'm ashamed. Like, no way. There's no way. But 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there, half an hour there, it all adds up. Do you know that if you read your Bible a half an hour a day, you could read through the Bible three times in one year? Do you know if you read your Bible just 10 minutes a day, you could read through the Bible in one year. I always encourage the young people, I gave them a 15-minute challenge every day. 15 minutes, that's all. You worship for five, you read for five, and you pray for five minutes. And I can't tell you how difficult that is to stay consistent in that. But before I eat the food, I need to eat the food. The important food, God's word. So a while back, I started to do this. Now, I don't eat breakfast, so that's easy for me. But you don't eat before you eat. You don't eat food before you eat of God's word. And if you don't read your 10 minutes at least in the morning, then you skip breakfast. And if you don't read at lunch, then you're going to skip lunch. It's a really bad diet plan because you don't eat and you don't read so (laughs) it's not good but maybe some of you need to just put a reminder you know to yourself like right now right under your hand 10 minute challenge whatever you got to do whatever to to switch your diet because your diet what's your diet lately what's coming into you Forget the pizza and the Cheetos and the Cokes and all that stuff. If you're in that zone, then it's not good. You know what your body is doing? Let me just, what your body does is your body is this incredible machine. And when food comes into your mouth and it goes down your throat, your insulin level shoots up and it starts to work. And your body thinks that anything that comes into your mouth is nutritious. It doesn't know. But when the Cheetos come in or the processed food comes in, what your body is saying is, okay, nutrition, 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 energy, the good stuff. Oh, wait a second. This isn't good stuff. And then your next meal is sugar and Coke and chips again or whatever. And then your body's like, oh, no, there's no more nutrition coming in this time either. And then it goes into alert. It's like, "Eh, eh, okay, what's happening is there's no nutrition in our body. So what we need to do is we need to store. 
Because if there's no nutrition coming in, then we need to, we better put it away and tuck it away so that if no nutrition keeps coming, we can take the reserves. And that's the fat. And then it just goes to fat. That's all it's doing. But when you're eating good and nutritious things and you're eating right, it comes in your body and it burns it up. And it uses it up. And there's nothing to be stored in the fat compartments. Now just apply that spiritually. Go spiritual now. What, what's coming in to your eyes and your ear gate? Is it just constant I need to just zone out and go to Netflix or I just need to zone out and, just, and, and you're just pouring in the sugar you're pouring in the chips you're pouring in the, the stuff and there's, there's no spiritual nutrition coming in and we need the word we need a new diet maybe but it's not only Job what about Jeremiah Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. The joy and rejoicing of my heart sometimes is the movie. But your word came in and I ate them. But not only Job and Jeremiah, but what about Jesus? Well, when Satan was tempting him in Matthew 4, 3, Satan said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And I always think of a nice double-double animal style or a four-by or that incredible bread that just comes out of the oven like with butter and all that stuff. Turn this stone into bread. And this is, you know... This is toward the end of a 40-day fast. I don't know if you've ever fasted for 40 days. But your head starts doing crazy things toward the end of a 40-day fast. You, you actually start looking at people like the cartoons, like they become a big hamburger <laughs> or a hot dog. And so Satan says these things, and Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of of God. Jesus said, I have food that you know not of. But not only Job and Jeremiah and Jesus, but what about John, the three J's? Job, Jeremiah, Jesus, John. One last verse. Turn to Revelation chapter 10. Revelation 10, 8. John's, you know, in the heavenly scene and says in Revelation 10, 8, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And I went to the angel and I said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat, and it will make your stomach bitter. But it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth but when I had eaten it my stomach became bitter 
And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Why, why was it sweet as honey, but then bitter in your stomach? Isn't that what the word of God does in us? Like we, we hear it, we come to church, we read a verse, we get a devotion, and it's just, there's something about it that's like, it's, it's sweet, that's good. But you let it get down deep into you. And sometimes the word of God, it's bitter. Why? Because there's stuff in us that needs to be dealt with. I remember hearing a pastor say, I read till I bleed. What does that mean? I read till I bleed. I read until the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, cuts me somewhere. Like, that's when it starts to work. And I won't, I won't just jam through my 10 minutes or whatever I'm doing and get through my Bible program. I'm just going to read till I bleed. It's like Muhammad Ali. Somebody asked him once, how many sit-ups do you do? And he said, I don't start counting until it hurts. I started doing that. Did as many sit-ups as I could, and then once I'm dying, I start counting then and do my set. Read until you bleed. Read until you're burdened. Read until you're truly blessed. But read. It's the breakfast of champions. We, we know these things, but some of us, we're sitting there at the chessboard. We're biting our nails. We're sweating. We've got tears in our eyes. And we're fearful. And we don't see that the last move is our move. And the last move is at the cross and the power of the resurrection. And I need to take that sword and I need to use it in my mind, in my heart, with all the crazy going on. And so I pray that you're encouraged this morning to change your diet. I'm going to ask the guys to come on up and let's pray. Father, we just thank you for hope. I pray, Lord, that for some of us, we would lay our life on the altar and say, have your way. No matter how hard that is. And I pray, Father, that you would deliver us, redeem us, forgive us, strengthen us, help us to remember the power that we possess. And that's your power. It's you in us. So, Lord, help, help us to just get out of the way and let you do the living in us and through us. And for all the spiritual attack and all the temptation and all the depression and all the self-loathing and, and the pain of it and the fear and the worry, the anxieties, 
want to give you all of that this morning. And pray that you would help us to build up our most holy faith, to energize our hope, to strengthen our spiritual man by putting in the proper spiritual nutrition into our lives. So help us this week, Lord. Help us this day. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.